0: Uh, May you just show us um, your will for our lives Father, help us to be um, wise enough to see that And Father, give us the courage to follow it in all that we do In Christ's name I pray, amen How many people in here growing up had parents that were always the last ones to leave church? Did anybody else have? Okay, some of you had those parents, All right, maybe they were deacons Or elders, but uh, those were my parents, okay? My parents left church approximately 45 minutes or an hour after church was over with. So, which meant when I was a kid, I had lots of time running around the church building looking for something to do because my parents were always talking to their friends and doing whatever. So, me and my buddies discovered this obscure bathroom that was kind of down the hallway at our church, And it was a bathroom that had no lights in it at all, so it was pitch black. And we developed this game of hide-and-seek in this bathroom. So we would basically, couldn't wait for church to get over, because right when it was over, we would run down the hall, and we would play hide-and-seek. And so the way that this worked for us is you would go in there, we would send like five kids into the bathroom, and you would go in there and hide, which meant like you would like, get up against the wall like this, or you would get down underneath the sink, or we would actually climb up the dividers, you know, that are like in the stalls, and we would be up there or on top of the toilet. And again, this was pitch black, so we didn't have to wear a blindfold, you couldn't cheat, and whoever was it would walk in and then basically try to find all of us in this bathroom. And you were like hitting things, and and they were like, poking you in the eye, and you couldn't, you couldn't really see if they were close to you or not, and you would try not to snicker, but we would go, and we would do this for hours every Sunday. That was, you know, I don't know if I listened much in church, but I knew I was excited about going and playing hide-and-go-seek in the bathroom as soon as church was over with. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because I think many of us in life feel like we are walking around in life, kind of like in the dark, reaching our hand out, and, and hoping that we can find God's plan for our life. Hoping that we can kind of stumble across it. Or maybe we bump into it. Or maybe it, we turn around and it's right there. And we experience life in this, like, I, I think God's got this plan for me. But I, I don't really know where it's at. I'm trying to find it. And I'm kind of just searching, walking around, feeling like it's got to be easier than that. There's got to be a better way to it than that feeling. We have questions like, you know, should I marry this person? Should I marry that person? Should, should I go to grad school or should I go get a job? Should I stay in this job? Should I take that job? Should I stay in this city? Should I move to that city? And, and all these questions and all these choices that go on, and we're looking for direction. Now, here at Exodus, we talk a lot about hearing and responding, believing that God truly does speak and we can hear him, and when we hear him and recognize his voice, then it honors him when we respond and listen to him. But the question becomes, how do I, how do I hear? How do I know? What, if he's got this plan, how do I find it, and how do I know it when I find it? That's what we're going to talk about today, because I believe that God does care about every one of us. God does have plans for our lives, and God wants us to know that plan, and he's honored when we follow it. So we're going to look at a passage of scripture today that has three steps to finding God's will, to identifying it, and then it comes with a promise. And we've got some small video clips that are going to demonstrate that along the way. And then we're going to take God's will, and I'm going to break it down into three different aspects or three different components that we're going to share. And so hopefully this idea of discovering God's will become, will become a little more clear. So if you have a Bible or you look up Scripture on your smartphone, turn to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. That's where we're going to start today, the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And it it is two verses that you've probably heard before if you've been around church. Uh, it may not be totally new to you. But let me give you a little background about the book of Proverbs. It was written by a man named Solomon. And the whole book are wise sayings and spiritual principles to live by. And Solomon was a king; he was the king of Israel, and he was called the wisest man who ever lived. And what I want you to see this morning from the verses that we're going to look at is that recognizing God's will is not always as mysterious and as elusive as we make it be, as we make it out to be at times. In fact, it, it can be much simpler than at times the way that we make it to be. So let's look at these. Steps three steps we're going to look at this passage in proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 the first step we see that solomon says in recognizing god's will is trust in the lord with all your heart Now do you ever wish there were things that weren't in the bible? I do I wish there were things that weren't in the bible I read them I'm like Man, you know, loving your enemy, I mean, if that wasn't in there, that would be a lot easier to live if I didn't have to love my enemy. But one of the other things that I wish wasn't in the Bible was the word all. Because when we look at that verse, it says to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, it would be easier if it said trust in the Lord with most of your heart, with a good portion of your heart. Trust in the Lord sometimes with your heart, but it doesn't say that. It says to trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and that's very difficult for us, because when we do that, we're basically saying, God, we know that we are in your hands, and that we are trusting that your wisdom, and your plan, and the things that you know are greater than ours, and we will willingly put ourselves front and center within your will, trusting that you know what is best for us. I want to show you a movie clip from the classic movie, Back to the Future, um, which I think well, uh, some of you in here are going like, "What? Back to the Future?" Well, back in my day, that was a great, great movie. Uh, Michael or um, Michael J. Fox, yes, I it slipped my brain for a second. Is is in the movie? But basically, let me set up the clip. If you don't know anything about the movie, uh, a guy named um, Doc Brown and Michael J. Fox's um, character Marty. See, I should have let you guys do this. You ought to come up here do it. Yes, Marty they're they're basically trying to time travel and doc brown has this idea that if he builds an A1 1981 DeLorean, and he's built a time machine in it with a flux capacitor, and if they can go 88 miles an hour, then they'll actually travel in time. And so they're just testing it out, so they put the dog, Einstein, in the DeLorean, and they're basically in a parking lot, seeing if they can get it to 88 miles an hour, and if so, the theory is that they will travel in time. So this is what happens with Marty and Doc Brown. Watch this clip.
1: calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, You're going to see some serious...
0: Exactly 1 20 a.m. It's zero seconds! All right, what sticks out to me in that video clip is the two different times that Marty McFly tries to get out of the way, right? Did you notice that? When the DeLorean starts, he's like, I'm not standing in front of that DeLorean. And, and then Doc Brown looks at him like, What are you doing? Come over here. And then another time when it starts racing away, he, he gets ready to, to step to the side, and Marty grabs him and pulls him. Right over. Now, that's just an obvious reaction, right? If an 81 DeLorean was coming at you at 88 miles an hour, you would be tempted to step aside. Now, many times when we read the passage, trust in the Lord with all your heart, I think we stand there and we say that, and then when it gets closer, we're like, I'm just going to step over here a little bit, okay? I'm just going to dodge that because it's the with all your heart. Like, I don't know. Can I just stand there? Can I just stand there and take the whole thing? And it's our temptation to, to derail God's plan for our lives because we want to bail out at the last minute. We want to keep all of our options open. We don't want to trust with all of our heart. We're like Marty. We want to just kind of dodge it in the end. But Solomon says the key to finding God's will is to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Now, here's the second step. And lean not on your own understanding. Because God doesn't do things the way you and I do them. I mean, we have things that that make sense to us or the way things that work in the world. and, And God does things in totally different ways. And many times, the way that he chooses to do something doesn't always make sense to us. It's not the way that we see it coming. It works out in very, very different ways. But the second step is to lean not on your understanding, but to realize that it's God's plan and God will take the responsibility For working it out I want you to watch a clip now by Pastor Randy Frazee and he's going to explain how he learned this own lesson in his life
2: as a young pastor uh, my wife and I uh, started to have children we had four in all but when our second one came along his name is David uh, when he came out we saw immediately that he was born without a left hand And uh, my wife seemed to accept this uh, a lot easier than I did, but it was extremely devastating to me. matter of fact, I thought to myself, you know, God, um, everywhere I look, people that don't follow you. I even go to the zoo and everyone has two feet and two hands that have not been faithful to you. What are you doing to me? I really, uh, really uh, struggled with the whole idea. Uh, That was 25 years ago. Uh, Today, my son is married to a beautiful, beautiful woman. Uh, He is in his second year of law school. He loves God in a very, very deep way. And what God has shown me 25 years later is that uh, uh, we don't need two hands. What we really need is Him, and when we have Him, we can rise above all the things that the world tells us that we need uh, to have a successful and fulfilled life, uh, and we can rely completely on Him. My son David, born without a hand all these 25 years, is an absolute miracle of God for me.
0: Like Randy Frazee learned, God does things in a very different way than you and I do. And so our understanding, our script, the way that we would do it, many times is very different than the way God is going to unveil his plan in our lives. And so our role is to lean not on our own understanding of it, That that it it may not make sense to us. And if you've lived life long enough, you've had disappointments in life. You've had things that have happened to you that you're like, I don't understand. Why did that happen? How come it's like this? This is not the way that I wanted it. This is not the script that I would have written for my life. And yet, Solomon says if you just trust in the Lord and you lean not on your own understanding, the third step, he says, is to in all your ways acknowledge him. In everything that you do, acknowledge God. And there's the word all again. In other words, trust God completely in every decision and every category, realizing that if He's asked you to do it and you're being obedient to Him, then He will take care of all of the circumstances. He will take care of all of the details. One of the best movies that I've seen in the past year was the movie Courageous. And if you haven't seen it, I would definitely recommend that you check it out. And if you're a dad, you definitely need to check out that movie. But one of the great scenes in the movie is when there's a character who's from Mexico, and his name is Javier, and he's trying to get a job, and uh, he needs a job to support his family, and he finally gets a job in this factory, and then he actually puts in for a promotion. And the boss calls him in to interview him for this promotion. And during the interview, the boss says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to fill out this form every night, but you're going to count how much we have in our inventory, but you're not going to put down that number. You're going to adjust the number every time to make it different than what we actually have. Well, Javier is just kind of like, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, that's really kind of a conflict. The boss says, he's offering me the job, but he's asking me to do something that I know is dishonest. And so he says, I tell you what, go think about that. So Javier thinks about it. He talks with his wife, and he can't really decide what to do. And then when we pick up this clip, Javier goes back in to tell his boss what his decision is. And this is what happens. Good morning, sir. Good
1: morning, Mr. Martinez. How are you this
0: morning? Fine, thank you. How are you? I don't know
1: yet. Please, have a seat. I trust you've had time to think about our conversation yesterday?
0: Yes, sir, I did. And what did you decide? Are you on my team? Mr. Tyson, I am very grateful to have a job here. I cannot do as you have asked.
1: And why is that?
0: Because it is wrong, sir it would be dishonoring to my God and my family to lie on that report.
1: Do you understand what this may do to your job here? Yes, sir, I do. Javier, may I shake your hand? Young man, you just gave me the right answer. I've been looking for someone to manage inventory and shipping, and quite frankly, you were the last person on my list. But I need somebody I can trust. Will you take the job? We'll adjust your pay.
0: I would be honored to, sir.
1: Good. Then the job is yours. Now, Walter will go over all the specifics with you, and I'll make the announcement to the staff on Monday. Congratulations, Javier. Owen, Javier, thanks for your integrity rare. Well done, Javier. After six times I was getting discouraged
0: I loved his expression on his face there at the end because you see he realizes an amazing thing that he honored God. And all that he did, he did the right thing, and he acknowledged God in all that he tried to do. And even when it didn't make sense, and God took care of him in there. And I believe that finding God's will means that we trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We lean not on our own understanding. We acknowledge him. And then there's a promise in that verse that he will make our path straight. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean that he will make our lives easy. It doesn't mean that we'll never face any difficulties, we'll never face any disappointment or loneliness, but it means that God will be with us every step of the way, and that he will unveil a plan for us. And he does have a remarkable plan for our lives, and he wants us to live right front and center in his will. And he will take care of all of those details. Now, I want to take God's will and kind of break it down into three different categories now to kind of help us understand this concept of God's will because when I tell when I explain it this way I think it would be a little simpler okay the first component of God's will is his providential will and God's providential will is the things that God decides to do that no one else has any say in okay God's just going to do what God's going to do you and I have no control no say over it it's just the way that it's going to be he sent his son Jesus down here to earth he had him raised from the dead he made the sun come up this morning. He gave us life uh, a, a, another morning where we could raise up. There are, there are things that go on that God decides this is what God does. It doesn't really matter what if we're for it or against it. God's just going to do it. That's God's providential will. It's because he is the almighty God. He is the one that has all the power, and he has things that he just decides that are going to be that way. And the more familiar that we become with God's providential will, the more in a relationship we are with God and understand that, the easier it is for us to find out His will and His plan for our life. So that's God's providential will. The second aspect of God's will is God's moral will. That's the way that God asks you and I to behave and to live according to His Word, because He knows, He created us, and He knows the best way for us to experience life, to be alive, awake, and free, and experience life the way He created it. He knows the best way for us to live, and that is called God's moral will. So we could think of the Ten Commandments, love your neighbor, forgive your enemies, avoid drunkenness, don't gossip, all of those things are, are part of God's moral will, and those are things that we don't We may have questions about, but God has revealed it to us in His will. Let me share two quick scriptures with you that are examples. In 1 Thessalonians 4.3, we read, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. We don't have to ask about that. It says it right there that it's God's will. 1 Peter 2.15, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Now, sometimes as a pastor, it's interesting. I have people ask me questions like, is this okay? Is that okay? Can I do this? Kind of like I'm somehow the, the keeper of the loopholes for God. Like I can give you permission to not say, do what it says in the Bible. That because somehow I'm some kind of uh, I have super pastor permission to give you some kind of loophole. But with God's moral will, we can open up our Bibles. We can read and understand the the way God wants us to live and behave and know that he has a plan for our lives. And the more obedient we become to God's moral will, the easier it is for us to find out the third component, which is his personal will. And that aspect of God's will, the personal will, is God's input on matters of choice. That's the, do I take that job? Do I marry her? Do I move to this city or that city? Should I buy a car? Should I keep the old one? Should we remodel the house or sell it? Do I stay here? God, what do I do? And the good news is that God is very, very interested in giving his input on those matters of choice where we find ourselves. But now here's where the rubber meets the road, okay? I think we have a slide. Go to the next slide there, Tim. Okay, if you get nothing else out of what we're talking about today— Take this home with you. The more familiar you become with God's providential will, the things that God does, knowing how God behaves, and the more obedient you become to the moral will of God, that is, the way God wants you to behave and live, the easier it will be to discover the personal will of God. Does that make sense? The more familiar you become with who God is and his providential will, the more obedient you become to his moral will, the easier it will be to discover. The personal will of God. I brought this from my garage today, and this is a level, a carpenter's level, right? Most of you have seen that, you know how it works. So up on the screen, we kind of have a magnified version of this little bubble. And so basically, when the little bubble is between the lines, you know that it is level, correct? So builders use this because when they build a house, they need the floor to be completely horizontal, and they need the walls to be completely vertical, and so they they put this and they start, because if you start the house and you build the house and you start with things being out of level, there's no way that you can ever get things to be true again. So that's the way a level works. Now here's how it applies to us. A level is very much the way God's will works, because God's will, let's say horizontal, is like God's providential will. And if we take it vertically, it's God's moral will. And the more in our lives that we bring our lives in line with his providential will and his moral will, the easier it is for us to see and hear and recognize his personal will for our lives. On the, on the matters of, should I do this? Should I do that? What, which way do I go? There's a fork in the road. Do I go left? Do I go right? Pam and I went through an experience um, when our youngest daughter, Senna, was born because she was working full time and uh, we had to make a decision on whether she was going to continue work or, or stay at home. So we had four kids at that point and she had been working full time. And and we went through this whole dilemma of, God, what's the right thing to do? I mean, there's pros, there's cons on on every side. But we went through that process of God's providential will and God's moral will. And God, show us the right answer. Help us to make the right decision. What is the best thing for our family? Now, here's the issue with God's personal will. The real issue is not God's God's unwillingness to communicate or show us his personal will. It's in our unwillingness to follow through with it. See, the the beauty about God is He knows us, and He knows the way that we're going to respond. And many times, I believe that God does not reveal the details of His will to us until we are at a point where we're ready to obey His will. Because we say things like, God, I want you to show me your will so that I can consider it. Or... God, I'm really interested in your advice so that I can decide if I want to obey it or not. And God's like, no, 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 no. no. It, it doesn't work that way. God doesn't reveal his will to us so that we can consider it. He doesn't reveal his will for consideration or contemplation. He reveals his will to us for participation. So when we're not ready to participate in God's will, God doesn't always reveal that personal will to us. When we get to a point where we're willing to say, God, whatever it is that you reveal, whatever the answer is, whatever you lead, I am willing to follow, that's when God reveals His will to us. In 2008, I had been a pastor for 20 years at that point, and um I felt like God was telling me I needed to walk away from the role I had at this church. Which was like, uh, okay, God, I know you're saying that, but then all of these questions pop into my head. So I'm like, well, what's next? Like, what do I do to uh, pay the bills? How do I provide for my family? All these details, and I just start can rattle off, like, all of these things. And I kept hearing God saying, but this is what I need you to do. I, this is what I need you to do. This is what I need you to do. And finally, after a lot of prayer, after talking, uh, talking it over with my wife, after talking it over with some mentors, I finally decided, okay, God, I'm going to do what I feel like you're telling me to do. I'm just going to walk away from this. I'm just going to totally walk away. And I don't know what the next step is because I don't have any of the answers or any of the details. And what I kept hearing God saying was, you do what I'm telling you to do, and then I will reveal all of the things and make them happen. And I look back on that experience, and as scary as it was, the things that God did, the ways God provided, the way that he answered my prayers was so far beyond what I could have imagined or how I could have written the script. Because I would have written the script a certain way, and, and God wrote it in a completely different way, but in a way that was much bigger, much better than I could have ever experienced and written it for myself. And I look at today, being a pastor at Exodus Church in Bloomington, Indiana, and realize that I probably wouldn't be here today doing this if I wouldn't have made that decision at that point in my life in 2008 to do what God told me to do and walk away from something. God loves to share His will to us, not so that we can just consider it or contemplate about it, so that we can participate so my question to you today is what, are, what or where are you searching for God's direction? What is it in your life that you're asking God? God, show me this. God, give me the answer to this. Help me find this. Is it this or is it that? Should I do this or should I do that? But before you find the answer to that question, let me ask you two other questions. Here's the first one. What action step do you need to take to become more familiar with God's providential will? So what do you actually need to do to know the, who God is at a deeper level? To spend more time understanding who God is? Because that's really what God is about. He wants a relationship with us. And if, if, if we're only wanting things from God, treating Him like a Santa Claus, and not really being a part of in a relationship and a friendship with Him, my question to you is before you ask God to give you or to show you something, What action step do you need to to take to know his providential will, to come more in line with it? Spending more time with him, listening to him, learning more about who he is. And here's the second question. What action steps do you need to take to align yourself more with God's moral will? If you're wanting God to show you his will, what is it about God's moral will that you already know that you're choosing not to listen to or obey that God is saying, I want you to take care of this first? So you're like, God, but you know, what about this girl that I'm dating? She is so hot. I mean, uh, and God's like, you know what? I need you to break off that relationship. You're like, God, she is so hot. And God's like, I know she's hot. I created her hot, okay? I get that. I get that. I know. But what in your life? God, it may be prompting you. You need to stop doing this. You need to start doing that. You you need to break off relationships with those friends. You need to not go there. You need to do that. And, And you know it. You're just ignoring it because you're not wanting to align yourself with God's moral will. But when you become more familiar with God's providential will and become more obedient to God's moral will, then God will begin to unveil his personal will for you. So Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will make your path straight. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, um, I pray for each person in this room today, and whatever it is that they're facing, whatever it is they're looking to you for guidance in, Father, I I pray that uh, you would reveal that to them. But I also pray for each person, for myself as well, that, that we would become much more familiar with your providential will and knowing who you are and deepen our, our relationship with you. And, Father, we would become much more obedient to your moral will and the way that you choose to tell us to live, that, that you know ultimately what is best for us and the way that we are to behave. And, Father, that we would come in line with those things. And when we do, we would be willing to listen to your will, and when you reveal it to us, we would be willing to take that step of faith and follow it. Father, I, I know in some ways we've taken all this and, and, and simplified it. And, and Father, maybe there's someone out there that feels like it, we've turned it into some kind of formula or, or uh, made it too simplistic. But God, you do have a plan for us, and, and you want us to know that plan. And um, may we be obedient in doing our part, and may we listen, and as we listen, Father, may we hear your voice, and then may we be obedient and give us the courage to follow it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to move into a time of communion now, and if you're new here at Exodus, let me just give you a quick explanation. Uh, the band will come up and sing, and when they do, um, after I pray, there'll be people right here in the center, and to my right and to my left, and they'll have bread, and they'll have juice. And at whatever point during that song you're comfortable, come up, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice. The bread represents Christ's broken body on the cross that paid for our sins. And the juice represents his blood that was shed and poured out as a sacrifice and as a payment for the, for the mistakes that each one of us have made. And then you can take it right then or you can take it back to your seat, however you want to do that. And then following communion, um, the servers will then pass the green buckets for offering But um, this is a time for you just to respond and a time for you to connect to God. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll take communion together.